Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. It's your host, Olivia Perez. Over the past eight years, Lauren Zinger has fit all of her trash into a single 16-ounce mason jar. She produces zero waste. She sends nothing to landfill, nothing in a trash can, and she focuses primarily on recycling and composting. At 28 years old, she's the founder of Trashes for Tossers, a community of over 300,000 followers where she documents her zero-waste lifestyle in New York City. She also has a YouTube channel where she gives sustainable tips and tricks and recipes to make everyday products in the comfort of your own home. After seeing how many people wanted to get involved in zero waste, she started the Package Free Shop, a total zero waste store that sells everything from supplies to vibrators to baby toys and more. Today, the zero waste store says it's diverted over 4 million plastic straws, 3 million plastic bags, and over 1.5 million single-use bottles and cups from sitting in a landfill. In this episode, Lauren and I talk about the harsh stigmas around sustainability, easy steps to try at home, and how Package Free Shop is on its way to being the largest distributor of sustainable products in the world. Here's my friend, Lauren Singer. Hi. I'm so excited to have you on. I have like actually been a massive fan for so long, and you are a founder that has genuinely changed my life. So I am so excited to be sitting with you and just... I would like to say that I am like a beginner when it comes to sustainability, and I'm so interested in ways to change my life and change my impact on the world environmentally and sustainably, so I'm so excited to talk to you. And I think a lot of people are in my position. <laughs> and you wore my logo on your shirt, so. I'm wearing, I'm, okay, for, <laughs> obviously you guys can't see, but I'm wearing a Jay Lindbergh sweatshirt that's like a Danish brand and not even realizing that their logo, which is like stitched into my sweatshirt is the upside down version of it it's amazing means that it's the same I feel like I need that sweater you do I should probably connect you guys it's It's very cozy but so I always start the show tell us where you're from and where you live now I'm from New York and I live in Brooklyn born and raised born and raised you're not really a rare breed I feel like once you live in New York like if you're born and raised in New York you do not leave because there's nowhere better it's true and my family's so close and I just couldn't imagine being anywhere else I mean I would definitely sell my company and move to Europe for a little while, but I think I'd always end up coming back here. This is what feels like home and what feels like, I don't yeah. know, my energy. It's so interesting to me because, no offense, New York, I love you so much, but we are like the least environmentally conscious city mm-hmm. in the world to me. Like there's trash on the street galore, taxis, everything. So it's, there aren't even garbage cans. Like places. it's insane. In Brooklyn, there's like you're wading through trash walking down the street. Yeah. It's really bad. Were your parents environmentally friendly growing up? Not at all. No. My mom is from the South and grew up in an army family and I think always found value and like a way to express love and that she cared was 
through things because she didn't have that many things growing up. So I grew up in a household that was like very fast food, very fast gifting and stuff and like tons of presents because that was like, you know, parents always want to give you what they never had. So I think I grew up in like the opposite of a super sustainable family. Like maybe you could even just say like a typical American consumerist household. If your parents weren't involved in environmentalism at all, what was the moment that you were like curious about it? I mean, I've always kind of been not a loner, but I reset by being by myself. And growing up, I spent a lot of time outside by myself. Um, And I think I always felt really connected to nature and also just felt like it was something that always gave me the best versions of myself. And when I was in high school, I read this book called Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. It was written in 1962, and it was all about this chemical called DDT, which is a man-made pesticide, and all about how it affected bird populations, human populations, and it was just like this incredibly destructive chemical. And it was my first insight into the fact that human beings are the only creatures on Earth that have the power to make decisions that impact everything else that lives here in a negative way. Like no other creature can destroy the planet. But we, with like one push of a button, can create nuclear holocaust and kill everything. And when I realized that, I was like, wow, that is the scariest thing that I've ever heard in my life. But also it made me feel really powerful because if we have the ability to do something so bad, then maybe we have the power to do something good. And that's when I started studying environmental science, learning more about it, and wanting to use my power as an individual to try to fight for the planet. It's amazing that you knew what you wanted in high school. I mean, let's be clear. I went to college not knowing what I was doing, and okay. I was going to study environmental go. science. I no. was like, it's rare. It happens, <laughs> but it's awesome when it does. No, I had no idea. Actually, I went to NYU and decided to study journalism because I was once out with my cousin drunk, and this guy was talking to me, and he was like, what do you do? And I was definitely underage. And she was like, she's a journalism major at NYU. And that was kind of my alias. And I think it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's where I ended up at NYU. And then I realized that I actually hated journalism and was like, get me out of here. And I took an environmental science class, and the rest was kind of history. I went to NYU and studied journalism, but it's okay. <laughs> and I mean, that's why we're sitting here. It was here. <laughs> great. I, like, was failing my journalism classes. I mean, it's it was tough. NYU was tough. Mm-hmm. Like, living in the city and going to school at the same time was a an incredible experience. I would, wouldn't change it for the world, mm-hmm. but it was a weird one. It's weird because everyone goes to class and then just leaves, and then you're like, where is my friend group or anyone. How do I meet people? Right. I'm mm-hmm. super grateful that I had a lot of people from LA that mm-hmm. moved and I had like at least that safety net a little bit. Yeah. But like I actually ended up, I know it was like kind of lame, especially for NYU, but I ended up joining like a bunch of like clubs and like wrote for the school magazine because I was really? like, I need a community here. Like this is crazy. I have a friend that joined a sorority there, which is interesting. There's I do sorority. too. It was yeah. weird. Yeah. It was, it was weird. weird. I was like, that's a little too far. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you have a hard time, like, meeting people, like, what else are you going to do? It's true. Especially if, like, you're in a major that, like, didn't have what we had, which is, like, I had, like, the Washington Square News. Mm -hmm. I had, like, the Village Voice. I had, which, like, Places to find community. Right. But, you know, a lot of people didn't. Yeah. So you studied environmental science Mm -hmm. at NYU? Yep. What classes did you take in that arena? I mean, everything from animals and the environment to sociology. So... Everything from how we affect the things that live on the planet to how the planet changing affects us to just like basic science classes. So I really got a holistic look at all of the different 
inputs that create kind of this world that we live in, which was really interesting because it's not just you're not just looking at things from one angle. It's like, how do my choices as an individual affect the science of what's happening in the world? How does the science of what's happening in the world affect the rocks that we need to make this thing? And it was just like this whole crazy systems approach, which I think makes me think about how the choices I make are so much bigger than maybe like what's right in front of me. And I think that's why zero waste was really interesting for me because for a long time, I was just so depressed about everything that I was learning. I mean, you pick up a newspaper or read an article on the internet or like see a post about like a burnt koala and you're like, I just want to die. Like this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. You feel so depressed. I mean, when the fires in Australia were happening, I was crying, like looking at my phone, feeling kind of helpless. But then I try to remember that Climate change is caused by the decisions that we as people make every day. If you don't want fires in Australia, don't use plastic. And it seems like completely oversimplified, but these choices of consumerism that we make, the way we choose to travel, what we choose to eat, what we choose to consume and manufacture, that's what creates things like climate change that result in these fires in the Amazon. And I think it's important to connect those two seemingly intangible, non-related things because they are, it's like cause and effect. So you went zero waste eight years ago. Eight years ago, yeah. For those who don't know, because we love to break things down to like the bare minimum on this podcast. What is zero waste? What is zero waste? (laughs) To me, so it means something different to everyone, but I approach zero waste from an individual perspective, meaning I personally do not send any trash to landfill, but I do recycle, but as a last resort because it uses a lot of energy and water and I do compost. Composting is amazing and a great easy step. I mean, not necessarily easy, but a great step for people to take if they want to have a large scale impact on the environment that's positive. Composting is amazing. So not sending anything to landfill, but there's trash that comes into my life that I can't control. Like if I go to a restaurant or, you know, if I stay at a hotel or something like that and they wash the sheets or like throw them out every time, I think about it in like the things that I can personally control in my everyday life. And you have collected all the trash that you have in eight years in a mason jar. Yes. What's in the mason jar? It's what I call like circumstantial trash. So the things that come into my life that I can't really control. So For instance, I shop completely secondhand now, but the pieces of plastic that connect a price tag of clothing onto a piece of clothing, think about how many pieces of clothing there are, and there's a little plastic thingy that connects the price to each and every one of them. There's billions and billions of these thingies, and they're not recyclable, so they just end up in landfill. So I collect those. There's things like Band-Aids in there, produce stickers. Those produce stickers? Literally, what's the point? They're driving me nuts. It's crazy. And I look at them as like, yes, they're bad. It's trash technically. But I also look at them as opportunities for entrepreneurialism. So these are all problems that could have a really easy tech solve. Like we're smart. We go to space. We might be able to come up with an alternative to a produce sticker or a plastic thing that holds a price tag to a piece of clothing. So even though it's not like a massive issue that's affecting the whole world and is destroying it, it's still a problem. And we have the technology and the ability to do something about it. So I think it's important to shine a light on those little problems because they're opportunities for growth and and innovation. So can you walk me through kind of what like a day-to-day is like and what the most significant changes were in your life? I mean, I think the interesting thing is people think when you look at like or hear about zero waste from a zoomed out perspective, you're like, that seems impossible. How does she do that? She's probably lying. But when you zoom in and you look at my everyday routine, 
am pretty much the same, except the choices that I'm making are different. So, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll brush my teeth, but instead of using a plastic toothbrush, I'll use a bamboo toothbrush. Instead of using toothpaste that comes in a plastic tube, I make it myself. I'll wash my hair in the shower, but instead of using shampoo in plastic, I use a shampoo bar and then I use a body bar. And so all of my toiletries are plastic free. When I make my coffee in the morning, instead of using something like a single-use pod, I'll use a French press and I'll compost the ground. So it's my routine is really similar. It's just little tweaks that I've made to the choices of how I'm participating in the routine. And you were just saying a lot of the items that you had to switch over were things that you had to learn how to make at home. Mm-hmm. What was that process like? It was kind of fun. I never thought of anything in terms of reducing my waste as like a burden or particularly hard because – Everything that I was doing was something that aligned with my values of creating a positive environmental impact. So if I wasn't perfect, I wasn't like, oh, man, I suck. I'm the worst. I'm going to give up. I'm like, okay, like, let's try again. Every positive step towards having a positive impact is a good thing. So I liked playing with making my own products. The first thing that I made was toothpaste. And then I went into, you know, making deodorant and body lotion and shampoo. And I learned how to make soap and cleaning products and it's kind of cool to have control over what you put in and on your body because when we as consumers use products, we're completely beholden to the values of those manufacturers. And in the United States, regulations are so shitty that we could be putting tons of toxic chemicals, carcinogens, endocrine disruptors on our body uh, without even knowing it because we expect and we hope that these brands care about us. But like, really, who knows, right? So- By making my own products, I know exactly what I'm putting on my body, exactly the chemicals that are coming or not coming into my body. And and it makes me feel powerful and independent and not like beholden to a system that might not give a shit about me. So I'm a beauty freak. Mm -hmm. Like I have like a 10-step routine. I gloss my hair. So I like to use something that like is color safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're a girl who lives in New York. I'm sure that those things were part of your life at some point. How are you able to move past them? And I know this is a very superficial question, no, but I, I think mean, it's a reality for a lot of people who don't it's so, can't get rid of it. It's so valid and so fair. And a big thing that I believe in is you shouldn't have to sacrifice like personal style and taste and fashion for sustainability. A few years ago, that might have been the case because the breadth of product just didn't exist to be able to fill all of those needs or they were maybe inferior products or not scaled enough so that we'd have access to these products. So that's changing and really quickly. I still think the beauty industry as far as makeup has a long way to go in terms of being zero waste, but there are definitely products that exist that are less bad or almost plastic-free or refillable that, you know, you wouldn't miss non-sustainable products if you started using them. So I think that's a really positive thing. And I think there's so much room, again, like I mentioned before, like so much room for innovation in all these spaces. Wherever there is a place where product is lacking, I think specifically in beauty and hair care, I think of those as opportunities for people to start businesses. I think there's a huge need for zero-waste makeup companies, a huge need for high-performance, zero-waste, synthetic-free hair care. So people that are experts in those fields that want to do something different and have the experience and the skills and want to make a positive impact, like start a business, it will do well, like I'll sell it at package-free. There's enough stuff out there that you can look and feel as sexy as you would or as great as you would or as confident as you would using sustainable products as using non-sustainable products. So I think there's a lot of good stuff happening. So what's going to happen when you fill the jar? Hopefully I won't. But 
so we were talking about TerraCycle earlier, and TerraCycle is this program that their motto is recycle everything. And they have a goal of diverting 100% of of things that can't be recycled through a city, diverting that from landfill. So technically everything that's in the jar, I could send to them and they'd make it into something else, like a park bench or make sure it doesn't end up in landfill. But really the point of the jar, it's not to be like, oh, I don't make any trash. I think it's more to, like I was saying before, point out these problems that might not seem big, but are really important to focus on and shine a light on just how granular the problem of waste can get. I think there's a terrible stigma about being environmentally friendly and not being able to do it if you're, like, a lazy person. Mm -hmm. I liked what you were saying a lot earlier about, like, you having made the choice. Do you think someone who thinks that they're lazy can achieve this lifestyle? I mean, I think I'm so lazy. Right. I mean, objectively, like, I do a lot of stuff and I run a company and whatever, but I I feel that I don't go out of my way for, for much of anything at all, and I can still live this lifestyle. Is it as convenient as it should be? No, but that's one of the reasons I started Package Free because I don't think you should have to sacrifice your time or your wallet to live in alignment with sustainability. So I think it's happening more and more, but it's not like you have to go completely zero waste to be more sustainable. Like you could say no to a plastic bag at a store and you're having a positive impact. You could say no to a straw at a bar and you're having a positive impact. You can do little things that are completely within like – the structure of being totally lazy and passive, but still make less waste and have a more positive impact. So talk to us about Package Free, because I love that you took your lifestyle and like the ultimate entrepreneur turned it into a business. I think that's the coolest thing ever. I started Package Free. So Package Free is my second company. My first one was a laundry detergent company, actually, that I started right after college. And it was a product that I was making myself and people were like, oh, I really love this product, but I don't have the time to make it myself or I don't want to, or like, this is annoying and I don't want to like go outside of my routine to to do this. And I was like, well, that shouldn't be a limiting factor to having sustainable products. And so my first company, The Simply Co, was really based out of that idea, taking a product that I was making myself and making it more convenient and accessible to, to people who wanted to reduce waste and live more sustainably. But then as I started getting into like the consumer product space, I started noticing that there were a lot of really awesome brands that were that were making product that were solving environmental problems, but they were having a really hard time growing and scaling because most of them were people like me that saw a problem, cared about the environment, and wanted to do something about it. But their backgrounds had nothing to do with running or scaling a business or marketing a product. And so, you know, customer acquisition is really expensive. You need usually venture funding to be able to to get traffic to grow and scale, and they just didn't have that. And so Packagery was really built off of that problem and also the problem of my followers on Trashes for Tossers wanting sustainable products but not wanting to go to 40 different websites or order from Amazon to have convenient access to them. So we started the company, oh, my God, almost three years ago now, And it was a pop-up and it took 40 of my favorite brands that I used every single day within my zero waste routine. I put them together in one place so they were able to have like collective discovery power and then use Trashes for Tossers to to provide that constant stream of customers that they would need to be able to scale their businesses. So it was just supposed to be a pop-up actually. But by day one, there was a line out the door. And by the end of the third month, the brands were were doing so well that I realized that I couldn't just have it be a temporary thing. It's amazing. And now you're selling online. Now we're selling online. I have two stores now, one in Williamsburg and one that we opened in November in Chelsea Market and goals to, to open many other places. I really want to open in L.A. 
You should. There's a huge market for it. I would love to be there. Also, I just want to be there more. Right. I'm also, like, probably your target clientele of someone that cares about the environment but has never been able to see mm-hmm. all of it in one place. Yeah. Like, being able to go on your website and replace so many things in my house that I wouldn't have maybe probably found on my own mm-hmm. is so valuable. So I really think it that there's so, so much room easier. for expansion. I've done a pop-up before, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and I have so many friends that are in various different industri- industries that mm-hmm. have done pop-ups themselves, and I wonder what it was about your pop-up specifically that allowed you to be like, okay, I can make this a full store. It's interesting. I think the function of business is to solve problems. I think that's what business exists for. And I think the problem that I wanted to solve through starting Package Free just turned out to be a problem that I wasn't the only one having. And I think that's why having a pop-up is so exciting because it's a really good opportunity to find product market fit. Trashes for Tossers, I think, proved that there was an audience for what I was talking about. And I think doing a pop-up proved that there was a, a desire for like physical locations and an aggregator of these products. Um, and it's interesting because people now think retail's dead. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you have lines out the door. And if, if retail is dead, it's probably because the, the services that, that those retailers are providing just aren't valid or needed anymore, right? Like, large-scale clothing stores were needed because there wasn't online shopping. But now people can buy everything that they need online with the click of a button. So buying the same stuff that you can get online more conveniently maybe doesn't make sense anymore. But what we're trying to do is is create not just a space where you can get these products more conveniently, but when I was studying environmental science, the amount of people that I could talk to, I could count on my fingers and toes. And I was desperate to have conversations about sustainability with people who cared about it too and also people that didn't seem that were just like regular people and I think at Package Free we provide an opportunity for people to talk about their love for the planet their aspirations to reduce waste in a way that feels safe and approachable and positive and not dire and scary and so like I just created the space that I wish I had when I was so inundated with sustainability. And you only had your Instagram at that time when you opened it so I Mm -hmm. wonder how did you get people in the door? It was a mix of Instagram, and I also think there were only a couple of articles that came out about it, but I think word of mouth is so powerful, and I I really think, like, small communities can do big things, and the community around sustainability three years ago was a lot smaller than it is now, but everyone was so passionate and wanted this so badly that I think it just caught on, and it is. It's been, like, a, a totally organic and word of mouth business, and so I just think it's something that not just because it's my business, but I think we all need to start reducing our waste. We all need to start living more sustainably. So many people don't know how, and I think Package Free is helpful for people because it points them in the direction of how they can use their power as an individual to have a more positive impact and reduce their waste. And you sell everything from toothbrushes, vibrators, detergent. <laughs> like, it's the coolest thing ever. Thanks. You could literally ch- you, you could change your whole life if you wanted to, just through your website. That's the goal. I want it to be like going into our store. I try to merchandise it like it would be going through a pharmacy. So right. you could find everything you need categorically uh, and, and really like room by room break it down and be like, oh, I use paper towels. This is an alternative to paper towels. Oh, I'm in the like bathroom section. Okay, I use toilet paper. Then here's this or here's a toilet brush or I'm in the menstrual care section. It's like, oh, I use tampons. I didn't even know this thing existed. So we want to have an alternative to every product that you would use that's single use. What's the number one seller? Our number one seller, it's kind of between a few products, but the things that do best are really like the beauty products. 
people want clean beauty. And I think there's right now in the beauty space, there's like beauty that's sustainable and clean, but then the packaging is really bad. And then there's products that are packaged really well, but don't necessarily perform. And I found a couple of brands, like just a few that meet both of those requirements that they're packaged well and they're high performing. And so I think that curation is is really like so special and unique and people love that. So right now you're basically aggregating a bunch of brands that you love and you use mm-hmm. and sell on your store and sell online. Yes. What about the future in terms of creating your own products? So we just raised four and a half million dollars. I mean, we were going to get there, but go for it. <laughs> Dive right in. Um, and the, the whole goal of that was because as we were growing and scaling package-free, there were a few problems that I was seeing. One is a lot of the vendors we were selling or we are selling don't necessarily want to grow and scale to be huge companies. So there's that. So our supply chain is limited by the growth or de- desire for growth of our van- vendors. Two is a lot of the categories of products that our consumer wanted just don't exist. Like people aren't making alternatives to so many single use products. And so we're kind of like stuck if people are searching for things and there's just no one that's making them or selling them, but we have access to that data. Three is people still feel that sustainable products are too expensive. And the reason for that is, is really, I believe, economies of scale. So when you make a product at a low quantity, it tends to be more expensive than if you are making 100,000 of them. So my goal is to start manufacturing products across all categories, especially the ones that we're not able to find alternatives for at economies of scale that make them as affordable as like a Unilever or Procter & Gamble product so that we can make these products available to not just people who care about sustainability or not just like white, middle, upper class people. We can make them available to anyone that uses products and anyone that wants to consume something that looks cool. I mean, sustainability definitely has a price tag to it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's especially isolating for people that think it is an expensive way of life, mm-hmm. do you think that there's a way to do it affordably? That's the goal of what we're trying to do with consumer products. I think the conversation around accessibility is so important. And I think sustainability is a basic human right. It's not something that's just for a select group of people. That's not currently the reality of what the landscape of sustainability looks like. And that's not okay. What I'm trying to do is approach, is use my resources and my knowledge and my abilities to apply sustainability and accessibility for sustainability to products that people use every day. And I think there's so much room for people to take their expertise and their desire for sustainability and apply it to whatever they're doing. I think we need wider scale sustainable agriculture. We need education in schools about sustainability. And so if there are people that are educated and want to do something, you don't have to be a certain type of anyone. You just have to care and educate yourself and then bring that to your community, whatever it is you're doing. You don't have to be a certain type of anyone to make a positive impact on the environment. You just have to want to. Since you were saying that there are some products that are having a hard time scaling, what is the product that you think you need that that you think needs the most innovation right now? I guess I'll approach that through thinking about what the biggest polluters are right now. Fashion is is definitely one of them. Fashion is one of the biggest contributors to landfill waste. And like holistically, mm-hmm. not even just the clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a huge problem with the industry as a whole right now in terms of the amount of 
And by the way, I'm very grateful when a brand wants to send me something. Mm-hmm. It's nice that they include me. But the amount of boxes and plastic tape Pla- and crap, it's mm-hmm. unbelievable. And to me, it's like it, it's equivalent to like the issue of just clothing and production and the amount of clothes that gets like thrown away. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Packaging of just products and gifting and like all these like feathers and like sparkles and things like that that I just don't care about. That and then like even going – it's fashion week right now. So like going to shows, right? Like the waste of a fashion show is so insane and people spend all this money and all these resources making these sets and then they just throw everything out afterwards. Like that's crazy. I think the the whole industry needs to recognize its responsibility in – contributing to such negative environmental impacts. And there are ways to do it better. I mean, I went to um, the Gabriella Hirsch show and it was a totally single-use plastic-free backstage. The decoration was paper. Um, The fashion was sustainable, meaning, you know, I guess like less synthetic textiles, reclaimed materials. And there are ways to be less bad. And so I think it's exciting to see that brands are trying to do it. But I think fashion is a huge one. Beauty would be the next one that I think of. I just think there's over 85,000 industrial chemicals that are used in the manufacturing of products. And effectively, none of them are tested for safety. And so we could be using products that are not just like poisoning the environment, but are poisoning our bodies every single time we use them from, you know, the shampoos and facial care products to even the clothes we wear. There's so little regulation that um, there's so much space for people to have transparent, synthetic free, plastic packaging free beauty products and just like everyday lifestyle products. I would say that's the other place that I would approach. The endocrine endocrine disruptors are mind-boggling to Mm me. I only recently learned about that because I have Hashimoto's, which is my thyroid basically Mm -hmm. is off. And I actually have just started to go through products and see chemicals in there that could actually be making my Hashimoto's worse. Like exponentially worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. Yeah. And a really great resource for that is – If you want to know what's in the products that you're using, I love environmental working groups, so EWG. You can look at the products that you're using or the ingredients in them, and they rate them from a 0 to 10 as far as what is most sustainable. So it's a really great first place to start looking at what you already use, and then you can use the platform to look at uh, products that are are less bad. Wow, thanks for that. I had no idea. I was just kind of doing the blind research. Be ready to be, like, really freaked out. I'm sure you get a lot of crazy questions when it comes to this, but I want to know what's like the most, what's the thing that people are probably most curious about when it comes to zero waste and being sustainable? The questions that I get the most are, what do you do about toilet paper? So people think that going to the bathroom makes landfill trash, but actually toilet paper biodegrades naturally in the wastewater treatment process. So that's, that's that one. Another one is period products. So single-use tampon applicators are actually a huge problem for ocean plastic pollution. I started using a menstrual cup about six years ago, maybe more. No, I think 
seven years ago. So that was one of the transitional products actually that I was using while I was reducing my waist. I It took me longer to use a menstrual cup because I was like really confused and freaked out about it. But it's been one of the best things ever. So a menstrual cup is, is a silicone cup that you use in place of a tampon. It goes inside of you. It collects blood for up to like 12 hours. And then you just take wow. it out and you wash it in the sink and then you put it back in. So it's effectively like a reusable tampon, but cool. there's hardly any risk of TSS compared to a tampon. A tampon. Um, most tampons are made of synthetic fabric. They're not even cotton. But if it is made of cotton and it's not organic, cotton is one of the most pesticide-ridden products or crops out there. So menstrual cups are medical-grade silicone. They save you thousands of dollars over the course of its life because they last up to 10 years. So wow. you can actually recoup a lot of money, especially if like financial responsibility is something that you're focused on. It's a great product in that regard. And it's just more convenient. Like if you're doing something like traveling, you don't want to travel with a box of tampons or pads. Like having just one little cup makes life so much better. I'm obsessed with the product. It's so good. So that's Can you sleep with it? Yeah, you can sleep with it in. Cool. Wow. Um, one of the talking points that I always like, which makes people feel uncomfortable, but whatever, that's what I'm here for, totally. is you can go down on somebody with a menstrual cup in. And so it blocks blood. Whoa. So you can like have better period sexual experiences. That's cool. It is cool. That's a huge talking point, by the way. <laughs> that shouldn't be a huge talking point. That's my, that's my selling that. point. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, people are really freaked out about it, but yeah. Uh, it's such an equitable product. It's such an amazing product. And I think the more we feel comfortable talking about these things that are taboo, they won't be taboo anymore. I mean, they shouldn't be taboo. They, half like, of the world menstruates. And it's just part of like the female human experience mm -hmm. that it's like, if I have to not publicly talk about one more thing that has to just do with my life and getting older, I'm going to freak out yeah. just in general. Um, the Oscars were this past Sunday. I'm sorry, you guys are listening to this so far ahead. But even like the Freedom Mom ad that wouldn't run because it was normalizing yep. postpartum mm -hmm. was infuriating to me. It's the fact that it could happen to me in my life. It could happen to anybody in the room we're in, our friends, our close family. And the fact that like ABC didn't want to air it because it was potentially controversial is like – that's part of our human experience. Well, and it makes us also, I think, so much more insecure about when these things do start happening because totally. we don't know what to expect. I remember the first time I was actually in California and I went to Big Sur and I went to, um, what's the the baths? Oh, um, the hot Esalen. springs. Yeah. So I went to Esalen and it was the first time that I ever saw older naked bodies. And I was like, whoa, this is what bodies look like? And then I realized that like, the media doesn't show us aging in any real way. So we have no idea what to expect. So when it starts happening to us, we like freak the fuck out because we never were exposed to like what healthy aging looks like. I think the same thing with like menstruation, with menopause, with childbirth, all of these things that like society is so afraid of but are completely normal. You posted about Goop Lab recently. Mm -hmm. and People – People went off on you, Hated huh? it. So here's what's so crazy to me. I was actually like a little adverse to watching mm -hmm. the show at first. I binged it. My boyfriend and I loved it. Like took so many mental notes. And when you posted about it, and I knew that I had saw you change your caption or like post something else mm -hmm. being like, whoa, like guys. Like a disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, being like, whoa, I can't believe everybody hated this. But there was so much in there that had actually never been shown on TV. That like a vagina. That it was crazy that even I had a discomfort watching it and was like, that's actually a part of my body. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize that I was like, holy shit, we are literally trained to be adverse to a part of our own body because it's not normalized. Yep. It's so true. I mean, 
I thought that show was so amazing and so groundbreaking and so important so for that reason. I think people were getting – people get really caught up on these, like, umbrella terms like pseudoscience. But putting the, like, validity or not validity of, like, the science behind anything aside, the fact that we are destigmatizing and the fact that Netflix has a vagina on, on, on the, screen. the screen. And not just, not one, just one vagina but, like, many yeah. different vaginas that are real vaginas right. um, is – like earth shatteringly important and you can like or not like what's happening but i think talking about real things that are happening to real people is so essential and what we need more of so what was the negative backlash on it i mean people were just saying that goop supports pseudoscience but really what i think it is is they're just talking if, if they're saying that something is valid and truthful without looking into the science or, or how it affects people's bodies, I understand. But what's the difference between that and what people do on Instagram every day when they're like slinging X, Y, and Z product with no background, 100%. right? So, so I think, sure, you can feel whatever you want about Goop. But my my belief about the show is they have a disclaimer in it that's like this is not you know consult a medical medical professional before right. participating in anything that's shown here. This is experimental, and these practices exist whether Goop talks about them or not. And what they are doing is talking about and normalizing things that are incredibly real. The fact that most women don't orgasm during sex, nobody was talking about. And I think it's important that they do. And they're showing ways that people are actively solving these problems that the rest of society is too scared to talk about. Is there a health – I don't even want to call it a health fad, but is there something that you do in your health and wellness that is different that you think people – that you recommend to people? I mean, so many things. Even just like a menstrual cup, like I was talking about yeah. before, a menstrual cup is so new to most people. But to me, right. it's like one of the most incredible products. And I want every menstruating person to have access to a menstrual cup. I mean, it's a game changer, especially if you don't have enough money to buy more sustainable tampons and pads. It and saves tampons so much money. are taxed. Yeah, oh, which is insane. insane. So there's that. I would say... Another one that I just started using and that we just started selling is actually a, a reusable Q-tip. I saw that on your website. Mm -hmm. Actually, can you walk us through that? Because yeah. do you wash it? Yeah, it's just okay. made of – the tip is made of silicone and it you use it like you would any Q-tip and then you just rinse it under the water and it's clean. It's amazing. It, cool. It's great. Does it still pick up – Yeah. That's such a yeah. gross question. No, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> like all of these like grossly disgusting things. Right. Um, I love – all of that. Well, I I love that you're saying that because they're not supposed to be gross and disgusting yeah, if they're it's just shit our we, body. Every single person we're, does we're taking deals our, with. You're taking something from your body and like just cleaning it out, like right. whatever. So that tongue scrapers are amazing. Cool. We sell those and I I love them. You like brush and floss your teeth and you're like I'm clean, and then you use a tongue scraper and you're like what the hell is still in there? Um. So another mm. one of those like grossly satisfying things. What else? I mean, even just like. The way I use shampoo and conditioner in like a bar instead of a plastic package, I think it's important to know that you can use sustainable products and they work and your like teeth won't fall out and your hair won't fall out. You can still like look and feel great and not use synthetics. This is also interesting to me because at the end of the day, it's also innovative. Mm -hmm. Like everything that you are coming up with and selling is something that I've honestly never heard of before. But I do think that there's an interesting stigma when it comes to sustainability where it's like this hippie movement mm -hmm. and like you know you're like of the earth and all these things but you're doing it in 
a modern way, as are probably like 90% of the people. How do you combat that stigma when either talking to someone about it or maybe convincing someone to go more sustainable? It's a really real problem because when I was in school, I was participating in the anti-fracking movement a lot. I started this club at NYU called Students Against Fracking, and I would like go to D.C. and lobby. Can you break down? What fracking is? Yes. Yeah. So fracking, it's uh, like horizontal hydraulic fracturing is the act of extracting natural gas from shale rock formations, but it uses millions of gallons of water, hundreds of toxic and proprietary chemicals. And oftentimes it results in methane being released. So if, I don't know if you've ever seen images of people lighting their tap water on fire. It's really bad. So, so what big oil and gas companies do is they'll go and like rent people's land, frack it release all these chemicals, destroy groundwater, and and then just leave, leaving these people and their property effectively valueless. So they they take people's livelihoods. Plus, methane is exponentially worse as a climate-changing gas, as a greenhouse warming gas, than carbon dioxide. So it's creating climate change and warming our planet. So I was obviously really against that for, for a multitude of reasons. And something that I found in protesting and being involved in like the environmental movement is I almost felt like I had to change the way that I dressed, whether or not I wore makeup, how I did my hair, how I communicated to align with this community of people who cared about sustainability and about the environment. And I just don't think that that's fair. I think you should be whoever you are, dress however you want to dress, have whatever style you want to have, and still have the ability to be sustainable. And I think what I'm trying to do every day is like by doing things like going to fashion week and, you know, being interested in clothes and not being a super minimalist to say like, you can care about style, you can care about having your own unique expression and creativity and innovation, but also be sustainable. You don't have to have long armpit hair and dreadlocks and live in a tree. And if you do, that's great for you. You can express whatever you want to express, but that's not the only type of person that can live sustainably. How are you combating like the doom and gloom of environmentalism right now? Because there is so much going on. Mm -hmm. And I really do love how you've integrated your sustainability into everyday life. Like seeing you at Fashion Week and doing things that are normal, like I think a lot of people, there is a stigma against even just zero waste in general. People mm -hmm. think it's really difficult and you're normalizing it and then integrating it into the conversation about climate change, which is so dark and scary. But to me, when I see you, like you make it seem like it's something that we really can actively participate in and change instead of just like shut out because it's so scary. I think it was really scary for me when I felt like I didn't have the power to do anything about it. Yeah. And that's why zero waste was so amazing for me because it gave me a tangible way that I could use my choices as an individual to align with creating a more sustainable future. The worst thing about what's happening with our environment is feeling like we're powerless and we can't do anything about it. But I always like to say that the choices that we as individuals make every day result in what the climate is like, result in climate change, result in our environment. Our choices create the reality we live in. And even things like big businesses are built by individuals that have various value systems. So if we can embody in a day-to-day -day way values that adhere towards sustainability, that can shift the way the world looks. And I, I really believe in taking personal responsibility for the state of the world and not trying to change big businesses all at once, not trying to change politicians' minds all at once, but like asking myself, what is it that I care about? And how can I embody those values and inspire the people around me to think about it too? So you've built this business. And now, as we were saying earlier, you just took on investment, which mm -hmm. is incredible. 
Congratulations. Thank you. It was, it was really fun. Did you seek it out or it came to you? I sought it out because I wanted to to grow and scale the business. I realized that I didn't just want to have package free be available to a select group of people or like a small group of people. I really wanted to scale the impact that we were having and and kind of how we were talking about before, make sustainable products more accessible for more people. Um, So that's why I made the decision to take on investment. But at the time we were a cash positive business. We were doing well. We were scaling not, like organically. And really taking on funds was just a way to to expand that growth more exponentially. But it was it was a really cool process because one, I mean, only two percent two point two percent of venture dollars went to females in what was it, 2018. I think that number is growing, but but incredibly slowly. And even raising money, it was it was predominantly from men. I had aspirations of doing my my first round in an all-female round. I think I talked to like three women throughout the whole process, maybe four, and three of those four are my current investors. And it was just, um, it was cool to see that it was innovative to be a woman raising venture capital and, and then is. deploying that capital to do something that is positive as opposed to just making stuff that people don't need or creating technology that doesn't make the world a better place. Like I was saying before, I really think the function of business is to solve problems. And I think women, not even just women, but people that exercise like feminine energy tend to be connected to things that aren't so tangible and real. And I think climate change is one of those things. So I think the businesses that women start will solve problems that aren't like so data obvious, but are that need to happen and that that people want and need, but maybe aren't talking about or seeing so obviously. And I think climate change is one of those huge ones. What's the biggest thing in climate change right now that you think we should be paying attention to and actively participating in? I guess I have a few answers for that. One is a lot of fashion companies are starting to manufacture clothing using recycled water bottles and recycled plastic. Plastic clothing is really, really, really bad. When you wash plastic clothing, it releases microfibers into our water systems and our waterways, making their way into our oceans. Microfiber pollution in our oceans is one of the biggest problems facing our oceans that nobody is really talking about yet. So if you have friends that are thinking about making textiles out of reclaimed or recycled plastic, urge them not to because it might seem like it's good in the short term, but in the long term, it has really negative consequences. If there's something that you want to start integrating into your life, one of the biggest things that you can do to have a positive impact is composting. I like to think about it like you're taking all these resources from the soil and from the earth and you're not giving them back and all that stuff is just going into landfill. That's like nutrients. And so we have to put those back into the soil using like synthetic fertilizers and chemicals. And that's really bad. But I think what happens in a landfill, which people don't understand is, is, is how they work or not even don't understand, but aren't informed on, on how landfills work is like a landfill is effectively a big hole in the ground. And whatever goes in there is piled in and it's pressurized in a way where all of the oxygen leaves a landfill. And instead of having things digest with oxygen, they digest without oxygen, which is something called anaerobic digestion. I'm getting really sciencey, but I'm sorry. Keep it coming. The more you know. Anaerobic digestion releases methane, and methane is exponentially more potent as a greenhouse warming gas than carbon dioxide. So by throwing food, something organic, into a landfill, you're expediting climate change massively. So not throwing food away and instead composting is something incredibly positive that so many of us can start doing to have a more positive impact. And composting, how do you do it from home? So 
composting is going to be different for everyone depending on where they live. There are places that have citywide composting services like Portland, Seattle, I think Austin, Texas. There are certain places like the west side of LA has them. Certain places in New York City have like just easy, convenient pickup at your house. What I do, because my building doesn't have composting pickup, is I collect my compost in a bowl in in my freezer, and then I put it in a paper bag from my recycling room, and I walk it to the farmer's market every Saturday um, where there's a community composting program. So that's one thing that I definitely go out of my way to do. But if you're somebody who has a backyard, you could just buy a little composter and do like a, a worm composting bin in your backyard. And it, it's a little bit of extra effort, but it it creates like super nutrient-rich topsoil that you can use on your plants if you're someone that likes to grow things. And if you live in a place that has a huge property, you could literally like dig a hole and put food in it. It doesn't have to be that hard. How do you deal with this with the people closest to you that don't adapt to the same lifestyle that you do? So when I first started reducing my waste, people didn't even know that I was doing it. And I think that affirms the point that like it's easier. Yeah, it's easier than you think. Like people started asking questions when I would bring a mason jar to a coffee shop and they'd be like, what are you doing? This is so weird because reusable coffee cups weren't even a thing really 10 years ago when I was in college. And so when I started doing that, people started asking questions. And that's kind of the reason that I started Trashes for Tossers is because when you start talking about sustainability and zero waste, this thing happens where like you don't have to tell people that they're wasteful. By me saying I don't make trash, people start thinking about the trash that they do produce and then they start feeling really guilty and they like run through this list and they're like, oh my God, there's like so much that I am not doing um, that it makes them feel like sometimes really defensive. So Trashes for Tossers was really made to make the conversations about sustainability more approachable. And that's why I approach it from from my point source and never from a place of judgment on other people because we're all doing the best that we can. With my family, my family shows love in really weird ways, um, <laughs> particularly through making fun of each other. Um, so Keep it light. Yeah. So I've um, always had a little bit of a thick skin, but when I f- started being really different in terms of the choices I was making, whether it was, you know, buying organic produce or or saying that I would buy ingredients for them that weren't in single-use plastic. They definitely made fun of me a lot. Um, And I think that's something that a lot of people are afraid of. They want to be more sustainable, but they're afraid of how society will view them. But I really believe in being a pillar of of my, my value system. And if people make fun of me, it's just because I'm doing something that they've never seen before. That's uncommon. But instead of thinking of that as me being weird, I'm like, this is awesome. This is an opportunity to educate. And what I found with my family was the more that I stood by my values and was like, I don't care what you do, but I'm doing this because I believe in it and it's important to me. And I just like took all of their shit for a really long time. Now they go out of their way to align with sustainability. They started composting on the holidays. They buy organic ingredients. They recycle. They never did before. They move from paper towels to reusable towels. And this is stuff that I never asked them to do. But just by being so strong in what I believe in and showing that it does make a positive impact and not being judgmental or making them feel like otherized or weird, they were excited and wanted to show their love through aligning with me. And I've seen that with with like friends and with my family and particularly with uh, relationships. All of the guys that I've dated over the past eight years have been men that have not been living any way that I was living, but have all transitioned towards a super low waste lifestyle just by being 
close to me, like by proxy. If you guys don't follow Lauren, follow her on Instagram. She's <laughs> at Trashes for Tossers, and her YouTube is a gem. Thank like, you. you have seamlessly broken down how to go zero waste with every product in your life. Um, I wear contacts, and I was freaking out one day over the fact that I realized that I was throwing out so much plastic, and I learned so much from your YouTube videos. So thank you. you definitely need to go on there and check one it out. One of my exes made all of those videos, so there you go. <laughs> Shout out good exes. <laughs> um, but yes, I think you've done a really good job at normalizing for people in Thanks. a time where it is new for us to figure it out. And in a way, it's like it is, but it isn't. It's new for us, but like our grandparents lived without plastic. Right. So we will survive without plastic. I also really like what you were saying earlier about living in line with your values. Mm -hmm. That's really, I think that that's not something that we vocalize a lot. I and don't, I also think it's something sometimes that we don't realize. We're it's so passive. trained to ask, how do you want to make other people feel, but not like, how do you want to feel? What right. do you care about? And sometimes I think it's important to, to stop thinking about other people and think about what's important to you. And if you align with what's important to you, you can show up better for other people. What's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now as a young entrepreneur? I think, you know, taking on investment and, and growing and scaling a company, I think so many people want you to be so many different things. And my company and I cannot be everything to everyone. And I think that can be a really scary thing to navigate, especially through social media. Like everyone's always going to have an opinion on what you are or aren't doing. So I think a lesson that I'm trying to learn and something that I'm trying to teach myself is how to really stand by my values and really know exactly what I want and know that I want to hear what other people are saying, but uh, not let it detract me from what I'm trying to do because I fought really hard about it. And so I think it is hard not to get distracted by all the negativity that comes from social media by taking on investors and having them want your business to look and feel a certain way. Especially um, I feel like in the environmental space where like the trolls are rampant. Oh my God, the trolls are so real. But, <laughs> like, but you know, crazy. everyone's opinion is, is valid and everyone has something really important to say. But I really believe there's a way that is more productive to communicate versus uh, other ways that people communicate. So I always try to approach things from positivity instead of being like, why aren't you like this? Being like, I've heard that veganism is something that comes up. So like, why aren't you vegan? Or you're not an environmentalist if you're vegan. Instead of being like, you know, I, I've, I've heard that, you know, you, you choose to eat in a certain way. Why did you choose one versus the other? And that's such a subtle shift in how to ask a question, but it makes it so much more approachable and makes me want to have a conversation as opposed to making me feel shamed for the way that I live. Nobody wants to be told that the way that they're living is wrong. It's the surest way to, to get people to ignore you or completely block out what you're trying to say, even if it's valid or important. So, so I always try to approach things with positivity in a way that makes people feel excited to communicate about it, not that makes them feel shamed for the way that they are or aren't living. I was watching a YouTube video, I think it was, maybe a podcast, I don't know, either one, um, that you were in and you were talking about just that running a business at a young age is really difficult mm -hmm. and that you had to take a step back because you, your business couldn't grow unless you let yourself grow. And I really loved the way that you, the way that it was even said and the way that it just kind of hit home for me. But I'd love for you to kind of ex elaborate on that a little bit. I mean... Learning how to grow a company has been so weird. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know in what way. I don't really know what I'm doing at all. And I think owning that has been really powerful. I used to be so afraid of everything that I didn't know how to do and think that it was scary and I would never be able to figure it out. But 
realizing that I don't know much of anything, but I have the ability to figure a lot out because I, I learn fast and I, I do the research and I talk to people and I, I recognize that there's so much that I need to learn. Feeling safe in not knowing anything has been really scary, but it's helped me so much in terms of growing. I mean, in the past year, we scaled from this time last year having, what, two full-time, maybe three full-time employees. We're approaching our 50th employee now. Whoa. So it's gone really quickly. I've never managed people before. I've never- I can't to, manage people. Yeah, I've I'll never- I'll figure it out one day, but I've for right now- I've never done it's payroll. Right. I've never talked about benefits. I've never had to fire. You know, a year ago, I didn't have to fire anybody. I've had to do all these things really fast, but just knowing like, okay, this is scary and it's weird and it's new, but I can figure it out. That's been really important. I think also learning how to balance my personal- health and well-being and the health and well-being of my company has been a challenge and one that I'm still not very good at. So what's next? What can we look forward to? You said potentially more stores. Potentially more stores. And we are going to be releasing products, which is really exciting. Um, Probably the end of June will be when our first two categories launch, which I'm really, really, really excited about. Um, I want to prove out that sustainable products don't have to be exclusionarily expensive, that they are a basic human right, and we can make them accessible and affordable for everybody. My family's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. They shop at, you know, they're an army family. They shop at the commissary. I want them to be able to walk into the stores that they go to every day and have access to products that are safe for their bodies and their homes and the environment. So that is my goal. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.